I will say the biggest misconception about labor and delivery is that we just kind of come in, we do the same thing every day, and we just kind of like hold babies and stuff and just chill. What I love about labor and delivery is that when you walk in, you don't know what you're gonna get. Um, and of course it's gonna vary from facility to facility. So I typically work at level one, high acuity, high volume hospital. So I took care of some really, really, really sick moms. That's like another misconception about labor and delivery. I'm taking care of patients with cancer, gunshot wounds, stab wounds, kidney failure, liver failure. Pregnant people aren't excluded from getting sick, getting car wrecks, having heart conditions, having, it's, it's all the same sick people. And then when they get pregnant, they're over in labor and delivery. Hey guys, welcome back to The Selfie Show, where we are bringing you the weekly dose of sweet and salty. I am Tori, the founder and now co-host of The Selfie Show. I am a NICU nurse, blogger, and podcaster, and sitting across from me is my very salty co-host. Oh, am I salty today? Yeah, you're, you're, you're popping sometimes up. Sometimes I'm saucy, sometimes I'm salty, but <laughs> I'm always Sam, and I am a flight nurse, college professor, podcaster, powerlifter, and co-host of The Selfie Show. And today we are talking off the clock, labor and delivery. Sweet. You asked for it. We brought it to you. We're going to, as Tori would say, deep dive we into are. the world of vaginas. Going micro into the world of vaginas. You guys, today we're bringing on Miss Sarah Gaines. Very, very highly requested guest obsessed with her by the way oh my god you guys these this episode i want to stalk her like i'm gonna travel with her because i just want to hang out with her all the time oh my god she is one of the most fun people to talk to you guys are gonna love this episode okay okay really quick mm. before we get into the meat and potatoes of this episode i think that it's safe to say, tell our audience what we've been working on behind the scenes. We have something so exciting for you guys. So this has actually been in the works for a while. Um, Sam and I have made it very intentional and we've sort of been dropping hints along the way that we want to do a trip with you guys. Selfie squad. The selfie squad. Like this has been a goal of ours. We, we need something to look forward Post -COVID to. Post-COVID feels. Yes. So uh, we have decided and officially signed on with Trova Trips, and we are going to be hosting a trip next year, possibly two. Yeah, and we are so stoked. We are so excited about this. So, um, so as of right now, we actually have um, a form for you guys. We want to hear from you guys. We want to hear where do you want to go? What's your budget? You know, all that fun stuff. We want to get all the deets of like all the fun things that you guys want to include in a trip. Like what are some things that you guys want to have? We can do what some. What are you interested what in? You, yes, hobbies, exactly. Things you like to do on a trip. Yeah. And we'll locations. I know. So we're building this trip out. Our hope is we're gearing for possibly April of 2022. That's our goal. And we're actually, it's not a goal. We're going to be doing a trip in, in April. I'm going. Yeah, Tori's we're going. going. Are you coming with? Yes. So um, we're really excited about this. We want you guys to click the link in the bio. Sam and I are also going to share them on our own Instagrams. We want to hear from you guys on this form. Cough, cough, select Bali. That's yeah, Sam so location-wise, we are thinking We're open Bali, to, yeah, a lot of things, but I New selfishly want to go to Bali. New Zealand. New Zealand uh, would be rad. Greece, maybe. Greece. 
Turkey. I would love to do Turkey. I would love to do Turkey. Morocco. Yeah. I don't know. Let's do a ton of trips together, guys. But we want to hear from you where you want to go on your first first selfie squad trip. I think Bali would be really fun. Yeah. would be. That's kind of, that's in my head, like tropical would be really fun. Yes. I I need a drink and I need a beach. (laughs) COVID has been a bitch to all of us. We all deserve this trip. So please fill out the survey, even if you're mildly interested. We want to hear from you and we want to see you. Yeah. We We want to see your beautiful faces in 2022. I think it would be so much fun to have everybody together, just have a fun trip. You know, Lord knows we all need it. So we were really pumped about this. So yeah, make sure you guys fill that out. We're really excited. Yes. Single girl, married girl, life tip of the week. Okay, so my biggest thing is this week is to be your partner's biggest fan. Yes. I think that's so important. I Obviously, it's important to have your own goals and, you know, to really kind of make sure you have your own individuality, obviously, but whether it's your partner's new career, a lifelong journey, um, I think it's just something that to be said about being your partner's biggest fan, to be there in their hardest moments, to really lift them up. I know there's times where Jacob has been my biggest fan and really pushed me through my hardest times. And, you know, um, Jacob's actually on a new little journey himself. And so it's been really fun to like support him and to really try and help him him through whatever it is a struggle he's going through a new a new little adventure um trying to learn something new like I'm trying to help him and doing my own research and you know so it's been really fun and I just think it's really important to really you know remember that and to really hold that as something important when you're being a partner is it fun now that the tables have kind of turned because he has been Mm -hmm. a huge support to you as you started your blog as you started the podcast I've watched him cheer you on every step of the way and celebrate all the milestones with this so now is it kind of fun to switch roles yeah it is actually I really enjoy it like I think that's been a fun flip and um you know it's just there's times where I, I can tell he needs a little extra support in the things that he's doing and I love it I think it's it's been really fun for both of us just change of pace too I think that's great advice for all relationships, not even just romantic ones. Yeah. Even as friendships. When you started this podcast, I was like, get it, girl. 100%. You were one one of my biggest supporters for sure. It was super fun to have that. And I think, I don't think you should even be in a relationship with someone if they're not as excited about your successes as you are. Yeah. Like if you don't come and go, hey, Jacob, guess what? We hit 100K and he's just like, fucking bet. (laughs) (laughs) Say less. Say less. That is literally, that's his new thing. He's such a good millennial. Our, um. Waiter last night said we went out to dinner yes. and we got some drinks and he was like, "Oh, the mozzarella sticks are really good. They're like cheese curds almost." And Jacob was like, "Say, Say less. less!" And I died. I like, the waiter started laughing. Millennials, it was so uh, cute. But yeah. if they're not hyping you up, yeah. it's so fun. Throw the whole man out. Throw yeah. the whole friend <laughs> out. out. The, throw the whole out person with the away. Sink. Bye-bye. Because they should really be, if they're so just indifferent and like, oh, that's cool. That's to me like super red flag. Yeah. Yeah. It is. it is. It's something that I think is really important. And um, yeah. So. What uh, about myself is good for me to eventually get into a relationship because yeah. I'm happy and whole with myself and I have no problem hyping myself up. Like. Dude, last night I took like this fire ass like mirror selfie and I was just like, okay, bitch, like you look good. Let's go get some Say drinks less. Like I have a giant pimple that I covered up. Oh, whatever. It was huge. We need to name But I it. was like in the mirror and I was like, okay, sis, <laughs> pop off. And I'm like, I 
I don't care if you think I'm like full of myself. I actually had someone even DM me saying that I want attention when I post that. And I was like, well, Whatever. I look good. So <laughs> sure. If that's what you want to call it, I'm I think just it's calling really it hyping myself up. important to like celebrate your wins. Yes. You know, we don't do that enough. Like I don't even do that enough to sit there and be like, wow, that was like really cool. I just did that. Yeah. Toot yeah. your own horn. Yeah. Love that for us. Love that for us. So we have um, this question gets asked all the time. It's so funny. I love this question. I've had multiple people commented on our picture and then I've had so many people ask me, what is in your podcast cover syringe? (laughs) Everyone wants to know what's in that syringe. It's almond milk. Yep. It's almond milk. When originally we were going to do paint, we were trying to do white paint, but then I forgot to even do white paint. Which honestly probably would have been messy. Almond milk. I had it in my fridge. It was clutch. We were like, oh, what should we put in the syringe? And I was like, I have almond milk. That'll work. <laughs> it looks like propofol. It does. So that's why it's kind of perfect because yeah. it's like nighty night. Yeah. Originally, we were going to try – I was actually thinking originally pink paint just to play off the pink. But actually, I think the white is The is white clean. is cool. And it's like, yeah, the fact that, um, yeah, it could be propofol. Mm-hmm. I could you be putting you to sleep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wink, wink. I'll put you to sleep. But <laughs> say less. Say less. So, okay. Um, and then another question that we got was advice for a 22-year-old who feels stuck or behind waiting to get into a nursing program. Oh, boy. We can both pop up. Girl, you 22. Yeah. You are not behind. You're a baby. You're a baby. You got all the time in the world. When did you get into nursing school? 23. Yeah. Um, I honestly didn't even switch my major to nursing. I was almost done with a psychology degree. And I was like, I don't want to get a psychology degree. What am I going to do with this? I know. Mm-hmm. So I switched my major to nursing when I was 21. And then it was the grind of everywhere is impacted. I actually applied to like St. Mary's in LA. is like a private That's a big BSN a program. People, yeah. And I had great grades. And they called me. The admissions office called me on the phone and said, we'd love to offer you admission to our school, but the nursing program's impacted. And I had like out of state credits from Utah when I went to college in Utah for a little bit. And they were like, we're just impacted and you're kind of an out of state transfer because I really was transferring from out of state at that point. They're like, we'll offer you admission to the school if you change your major to anything else but nursing. And I'm like, no, oh, that's not the, that's point. the point. I can just do these prereqs. Yeah. And then I was on a wait list for an associate degree program for two years. Mm-hmm it's just you're not behind and as someone who teaches nursing school I have students that are older than me in my class that are second career change nurses yeah you're never behind you are always right where you should be in life and everything happens for a reason yeah I agree it's funny because that's actually one of the most common questions um I touched on this on the blog I had someone ask I'm 35 and am I too is it too late to become a nurse and my answer to that is absolutely no if you think about it, if you even started nursing at 40, you still have 25 years to work as a nurse, which is crazy. And you're coming into the profession with so much life experience, which mm-hmm. I think is super invaluable, whether yes. it's talking to patients, understanding dynamics, like you've been through way more. And I think it's actually sometimes to your advantage mm-hmm. and you understand how to handle certain situations. You're probably more quick on your feet. You're more willing to learn. I don't know. I just think you're driven because you're, you're driven. obviously coming back at a time in your life where you're doing mm-hmm. it because you want to do it. It didn't just kind of fall into your lap. It's a calculated decision you're yeah. making. I don't think there's any time that is, I think, as you said, like your life puts you in certain ways. Many of you know this. I've talked about it so many times. I was on, it took me three and a half times to get into nursing school. I was rejected more than any, I had to apply to like eight different jobs. Like my journey by no means was easy. 
I graduated nursing school. I think it was 24, maybe turning 25. I was 25. Um, but you know, I, no, I think that that is the biggest misconception mm-hmm. coming into the medical field. I know, even know people who went back for medical school, for PA school, who are much older. Like, you know, you are where you're supposed to be. It is frustrating when you're waiting. You're like, this is what I want to do. I can't get in. I'm watching other people around me get in. Mm-hmm. It can be very frustrating. Just be patient. Yeah. It's going to happen yeah. for you. And hustle. And it's going to happen. And mm-hmm. you're not behind. Like, get normalize the fact that I'm 35, I'm unmarried, and I have no children. Yeah. That's Absolutely. Fine. I, I did mean, not when I if you asked me when I was 22, am I going to be 35 unmarried with no children? No. If you asked me when I was 30 and engaged, <laughs> if I would be 35 unmarried with no children, I would have said of course not. We love that moment for you. It was great. <laughs> but there is no timeline that you should be following in life yes. that is expected the it doesn't matter what other thing. people are doing. On top of that, I think it's so boring to be cookie cutter and picture perfect and have this perfect journey. Like, I think it's so much more fun in life when you have these zigzags and these journeys and things. It shapes that, you. It does. It really shapes you. And I actually think the hardships of, you know, what you're going through is really what makes you a good you know, whatever is a healthcare provider in general, or, you know, I think it's just part of life. And, you know, I think embrace that, embrace mm-hmm. the grit. Cause I, Lord knows I had so many times I was crying so much blood, sweat, tears, become a nurse. But, you know, a lot of people go through those journeys to become whatever it is they want to become. And um, it will happen. It'll Be happen. Patient and just use yeah. this time to honestly get a job at a hospital as a unit secretary. Mm-hmm. Get a job as a CA, a scribe, CNA, a CNA, scribe, a volunteer, a tech, a, tech get, a hearing screener. Get your foot in the door. I mm-hmm. know people that worked as unit secretaries before they even got into nursing school and then were able to do that job the entire time they were in nursing school. And now when they're graduating, they know the lingo, they know all the people at the hospital, and they networked. basically have an interview and a job waiting for them because they networked. Mm-hmm. So actually, you're, you're in a good position right now to set yourself up for a success. While you're waiting into nursing school, go out and get a job in a hospital. Mm-hmm. And maybe you get experience there and you get a job in a better hospital that eventually you want to work out as a new grad. Like, use this time now to make the calculated moves to set yourself up for the best position even when you do graduate. A lot of people end up graduating nursing school and now they're scrambling for connections and all that. Like, you can start on all that stuff now before you're even in a program. Yeah. So take advantage of the time of being stuck and waiting to use that to put yourself in a better position yeah 100 get it girl mm, yes. speaking of go-getters Ooh, oh this is man. you guys oh, today you are gonna love today's guest so we have a sarah Gaines. she's an ellen d nurse masters prepared travel nurse and founder of the six figure travel nurse course which is amazing yeah. um we've had so much to talk about with her yeah. so we actually broke this episode into two parts we did because we didn't we didn't want to rush through anything because L&D has been a very highly requested topic on this podcast. So today's episode is going to be all about labor and delivery. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's going to be a really good one, you guys, today. And I think so many people can take away all these tips that Sarah was dropping. She was dropping some fire today. Like, If I ever have a baby, I'm going to fly her out to be yeah. my personal Yeah, she gets into L&D nursing, tips and tricks for the labor journey. We get into a lot of things that I, I really do think anyone can take away from today. We learned a lot. I mean, we're NICU nurses and you're now a flight nurse, but we were like, we had no idea. 
She created the six-figure travel nurse course to educate and empower nurses and help them get ready to take control of their career. So just so you guys know, we are offering the second part of this episode as a bonus episode this week. March Madness. March Madness. Okay, can we explain that? Yeah. So we love you guys. Yes. And we have so many good guests right now lined up basically through June. And we have so much to bring you and we're just excited. So we don't want to make you wait a whole nother week to get part two of Sarah. So we're, we're doing March madness. We're doing a bonus episode every week for the rest of the month. So the next three weeks, we're going to be dropping two episodes a week and fun Friday bonus episodes. Yeah. You guys are going to love it. So we're really excited about this month. We love you guys. And without further ado, let's dive into the show. Okay, so Miss Sarah, welcome to the show. We're so happy to have you on. Thank you for taking the time. And thank you guys for having me. So for many of our audience probably already know you, but for people who don't know you, tell us a little bit about yourself, your beginnings, your background. So I started off in, let's see, I graduated with my BSN in 2012 and I started off in OBGYN. So I have been an L&D nurse forever and I love it it's been almost 10 years a lot of babies (laughs) yes a lot of babies oh my gosh and a lot of babies everywhere in parking lots and McDonald's and Kroger (laughs) what's been your best delivery situation or your best my best story I would probably say the best situation ever was um I delivered one a patient in one state and it was an amazing experience and then um I as a travel nurse I was in the next state and um it was a couple years later and she was at that same hospital and I delivered her baby again it was a crazy like that's (laughs) cool it was such a crazy coincidence and we were just so happy to see each other like we immediately remembered each other and I was like oh my god it's so crazy what are you doing here so that was really cool good nurse like makes her breaks that situation for you and like giving birth is such a huge deal so having a nurse that you like loved and connected with yeah and then to have them again yes. that's and then so a very cool. funny situation that happened um <laughs> it's happened a couple times people will dm me on instagram and they'll be like what i didn't know my nurse was famous <laughs> <laughs> we get that a couple times too <laughs> What made you want to go into nursing? I honestly don't have like a, I feel like every nurse has that moment, that special story, but I really don't. I've always just, (laughs) I've always just wanted, like my family said when they asked me when I was younger, ever since I was like three, four years old, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And my answer was always, I want, well, of course, at first it was like, oh, I want to be a doctor. But then when I realized the difference between being a nurse and being a doctor, I was like, I want to be a nurse. And that has just been my answer for forever. Um, When it comes to labor and delivery, I did not think that (laughs) when going into nursing school, I thought labor and delivery was super gross and I was never going to do that. (laughs) But I never changed my mind. (laughs) (laughs) There's like no in between. I feel like you either love it or you hate it. There's no in between. And going into nursing school, you know, I'm very, I'm, I'm a very type A personality, very detail oriented. So everyone was like, yeah, girl, you're going to be ICU. That's what you're going to do. And then I did my ICU clinical and I was like, this is terrible. 
Um, I felt like <laughs> it was really sad. Everyone was dying. And I didn't like that. I couldn't like talk and communicate with my patient. And I didn't realize how big of a deal that was to me until, you know, I couldn't talk to my patient. So I actually tried to drop out of nursing school. I talked to my counselor, put, filled out all my paperwork, and they had this policy that basically said, um, you have to wait 72 hours before it's official. And of course, within those 72 hours, my parents were like, Sarah, <laughs> like, like your bachelor's degree is almost done. You only have one more semester. I don't care if you don't want to be a nurse. Like, just finish your last semester and get your degree. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, sometimes oh. do hit that wall and that point where you're just like, is this even what I really want to do? Yeah. And exactly. we're not getting a lot of questions from people about that lately, yes. where they're like second guessing just based on their experience. And I'm like, it's so different being in school than it is being an actual nurse. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's so different. And for me, it was shocking. I had, I don't, I don't even know what I expected nursing to be when I went to nursing school, but my clinicals were just like, not what I expected. And, Same. you know, I did med surge and ICU and I was just, I kept being disappointed. So by that last semester, I was just done with it. But the very last clinical rotation I had was labor and delivery. And of course I was dreading it. <laughs> and then <laughs> I got there and I just, I loved it so much. Like just being able to be by a woman's side at like her most vulnerable point, vulnerable point in many ways, but also like her strongest point in many ways. And just yeah. seeing her go through labor and delivering that baby and the baby taking their first breath, like I was bawling. It was just like the most beautiful thing I've ever seen until this day, 10 years later, I still get teary-eyed when my patient delivers. I love labor and delivery so much. So I knew right then and there that very first clinical day, I was like, labor and delivery, that's what I want to do. I don't want to do anything else. So I want to go like deep into this because selfishly, I want to know for myself, I had a very <laughs> brief experience with L&D. What does your hands-on look like day to day? Like, what do you do? Oh, I like this question. <laughs> um, I will say the biggest misconception about labor and delivery is that we just kind of come in, we do the same thing every day and we just kind of like hold babies and stuff and just chill. <laughs> and yeah. like, same with thank you. <laughs> I'm like, it's such a huge misconception. Um, the biggest thing, what I love about labor and delivery is that when you walk in, you don't know what you're going to get. Um, and of course, it's going to vary from facility to facility. So I typically work at level one, high acuity, high volume hospitals. So when I walk into labor and delivery, you could be assigned to the operating room and do C-sections all day. You could be the pre-op nurse and do pre-op all day. You could be the PACU nurse and do PACU all day. You could be the labor nurse in labor and delivery and have a nurse in labor. You could be in antepartum and have a nurse in hires antepartum. You could be in um, mother baby and take care of moms and babies. You could be the baby catcher where you're just running in different rooms and catching babies. So you never know what you're going to get when you're walking in. And I absolutely love it. Um, but a typical day on a, on a typical labor and delivery unit, you walk in, you may have like an induction, which is the patient that is cool, calm, collected, coming to have their baby. And so you start them from scratch. You go over the plan of care with them and, you know, start their labor. Or you may have... <laughs> And I always hate it when these patients come in before I have my coffee, but sometimes <laughs> <you get it. laughs> I relate to that. I'm like, 
please just let me have my coffee. Don't let me get the screamer. And you like walk in and the patient's like, ah! and the baby, the head's crowning and there's just craziness everywhere. And you're like, okay, I'm awake now. <laughs> How many times have you walked in and they're like, you need to run down to the ER right now because there's a hand sticking out of this lady that just walked in <laughs> off the street. Um, honestly, I would say not that often simply because the ER is like pretty good at like sending those hands yeah, up. You know, sure if are. you even look slightly pregnant, if you say I'm pro, by the time you say that, they're like, <laughs> they're, they're labor. Um, there's it. been a couple of times, like, um, it was actually in the newspaper. They called, it was when I was in Houston, they called it the, the valet baby, but there's a lady trying to park in we valet or something and she ended up having her baby in valet. So we had to raise, set it overhead. They were just like, code pink, valet. Co-. We're like, what? So we just no, thank you. The valet. <laughs> Did you hear the one where the dad delivered the mom like in the hallway? Oh, it was, my it was in a hospital and he it was like went viral and he like literally delivered her in the hallway of like a hospital like because no one like I think it was a precipitous birth mm-hmm. which yeah. for people who don't know what's a precipitous birth it is when that baby just slides on out honey it just it's so quick within seconds and the crazy part is is I mean Sometimes a doctor can check you when you're eight centimeters and then with the precipitous birth, they walk out the door and by the time the door closes, boop, the just flies out. <laughs> and how many times have you delivered without the doctor being able to get there in time? Oh, a lot. I, I feel like when you're- <laughs> yeah, I don't think people to, realize that. Yeah. Yes. Like when you're an L&D nurse, it's not if it'll happen, it's when. Like it, it, it's going to happen and I've been a labor and delivery nurse for 10 years, so yes, it's- it absolutely happens. And it's so funny because I feel like the patients don't realize um, how much the labor and delivery nurse does and how much autonomy mm-hmm. we have. So that's definitely one thing I really enjoy about labor and delivery. I feel like we, um, compared to all the other specialties, we have a lot of autonomy and um, the patients will be like, did you call the doctor yet? Did you? I'm like, girl, the doctor ain't coming to the head. It's crowning. Yeah. Okay, like, <laughs> we're doing a lot of bullshit. Like we're doing everything. And they're always like, shocked by that um but yeah I definitely enjoy that I part think of it misconception well. in media because there's so much movies and things where there's a big emphasis on like what OB is going to deliver their baby and I'm like girl your OB might be on vacation your baby <laughs> might come a little early they might not even make it in time and the L&D nurse might be the one there so it's just funny that people put so much into that which I mean you should have a good OB you trust but the funny thing about having a birth plan is like, it doesn't always mm. go as planned. I we I like to call it birth preferences. Yes. Right? Yes. You can have preferences of how you want to do it. But I mean, as you know, we're both NICU nurses. And most of the time, well, all the time, moms don't plan to have a NICU nurse. And most of the time, it's not your OB delivering you. It's not the situation you wanted to be in. Like, there's so many different ways a baby wants to come. Yep. Yes. I love that you said that. Um as a travel nurse, I had heard like birth plan, birth plan. And I worked at one facility that called it birth preference. And I was like, that is the perfect thing to call it because birth and plan, that's an oxymoron in itself. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yes. Your body so. is going to do what it wants to do. is big because yeah. even in our hospital, we don't say DNR. We say AFND, which is allow for natural death. And I think that should even be used in adults. Like, don't say yeah. we're not going to de- do not resuscitate 92-year-old grandma. It's no, <laughs> yeah. we're going to allow her to have a natural death. 
Yeah. And I just I think love that, that verbiage. So I same thing with birth preference. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. How often do you let dad deliver? Can you like have dad like catch the baby? Honestly, it's a, the, up to the doctor. And if it's a low risk delivery, there's there's not an issue with it at all. Um, and I mean, let's be real. I don't know. I feel like I would have Jake totally get down there and like hike. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just about to say, I feel like it depends on the dad. Some dads are totally into it. They're like, oh my God, it's so beautiful. And some dads, I'm like, uh-uh, go over there and sit down. Don't be passing out. I see you already. <laughs> don't make my job harder. I don't need another patient. And listen, I tell the dads the same thing. I'm like, listen, do you know what happens when dads pass out? Absolutely nothing. We will step over you. And <laughs> we will keep moving. I'm like, I don't live in Rachel Nurse. I haven't taken care of a man in 10 years. So you yeah. do not want to pass out here. <laughs> What does your shift report look like? Because, okay, obviously births happen when they happen. So how do you like even do that for your shift report? What does that look like? Um, It definitely depends. I mean, there's definitely different stages of labor. So you may get a patient who is, and it definitely depends on like which baby it is for you. So if it's a primate, like it's your first time baby and you are an induction Normally, an induction takes anywhere from 24 to 48 hours. So, you know, getting report as a labor and delivery nurse, if you're getting report and the nurse says, yes, like this is her first baby and she's one centimeter. It's like, well, I got time for coffee. Like in my head, I'm like, okay, cool. Let me give me some coffee. Um, But then you may get a different report that's like, hey, she's a multip. This is baby number six. She's nine centimeters and she's feeling pressure. I would not even leave the room because that baby could come out at any moment. I would not step out the room. So yeah, it just depends. Or you may get something, you know, if it's 7 a.m. Oh my gosh, I have such a funny story. Um, it was like 7 a.m. and I, I came in and I had an induction and they said, yeah, your induction was supposed to be here um, at 7 a.m. But, you know, she's not here. So just wait for her. She called. She said she's on her way. I was like, okay, cool. I'm waiting, I'm waiting. And finally, I just like tell one of my nurse friends, I'm like, hey, I have everything, the room set up when she gets here. I'm gonna run downstairs, Starbucks, get some coffee and come back up. So I got some coffee. I ate my little breakfast. The cute little patient, she just waddles in at like 8 a.m. So it was a whole hour. I was like, Lord, what's going on? So I'm getting her medical history and I'm talking to her. I'm like, oh, what do you do? Blah, blah. She's like, girl, I'm a nurse. She was like, girl, when I saw they put 7 a.m., I was like, I'm not gonna do my nurse like that. (laughs) I gave you time for coffee. <laughs> and love your her. Patience. Love her. Like, love you. And it was so funny. We we're just kind of laughing. She's like, did you get your coffee and your breakfast? I was like, I did. And then she was oh like, and she was like, my husband gave me so much crap for it. He thought I was so crazy. But see, it worked. It worked. <laughs> that is awesome. That's yeah, nurses so know. We all know. We know. <laughs> oh, when I was in the hospital, I told my nurse, I was like, I want my pain meds every four hours. That happens to be when you do vitals. I can take myself to the bathroom. If you just bring in my pain meds with vitals, those are the only time you have to come in my room. And she's like, I love you. And I was like, mutual respect. (laughs) We know, we know. I think they were fighting over me, like (laughs) wanting me as their patient. And I feel like it's either like one way or the other. The nurses are either like the best patients in the world or they are the worst. You don't want me to have a family member in the posset because I am that family member I, I'm sorry you can't um, help it for me I'm chill and relaxed but if it's my family member I'm like watching you like a hawk 
and I got opinions. You know, what's so funny. So a lot of my family were in the medical field. We're all nurses and doctors. And, um, every time we have a family member in the hospital, we don't say anything. No one. They figure it out though. There's 10 medical professionals in the room and we're just like, and they do because my uncle will say something like, Oh, how are his little kidneys doing? And the nurse is like, they're doing fine. And he's like, what do you mean by fine? What's the creatinine level in the nurse? Like, I don't ever out my, or I don't specifically say I'm a nurse, but then once I'm like, well, what's the white count? They're like, (laughs) so I want to go back to this because I think this is actually really interesting. So in the NICU world, we have, you know, what level, different levels of NICU. So we have level one and we have level four, right? So one being the least acute, four being the most acute. And you mentioned something about this with the hospitals and L&D and the differences. Can you touch on that? Because I didn't even realize that. Yeah, I'm so glad you asked that because a lot of people get it confused. Um, So with NICU, like you said, level one's least acuity, level four is highest acuity. One unique thing about NICU specifically that I didn't realize until I was a travel nurse is Um, I know like in Texas, we have level four NICUs, but in some states, level three is the highest they go for the entire state. I didn't realize that. Um, So like travel nursing wise, if you want to be a NICU nurse, of course, it'd be great if you could start in a level four NICU because you're going to get like all that experience and skill set. And then no matter where you travel, like you're going to be good to go. Um, But when it comes to the level trauma center, it's actually backwards. So a level one trauma center is highest acuity, high volume. That's where you fly all of the high acuity patients into. It's going to be like the largest highest acuity hospital in the area. Level two is going to be a step down. Level three is going to be a step down. Level four is like clinic. So, and then like level three, four is like urgent care, you know, and then level, and, and also like, and level two would be like the smaller community critical access hospitals. But then when they get a high risk, high acuity patient, they fly them out to the level one. So labor and delivery wise, when I am as a labor and delivery travel nurse, I prefer level one trauma centers. I like very, I've worked at some of the busiest labor and deliveries in the country, you know, 1,000, 1,500 deliveries a month. That's what I prefer. And so they typically will have a, they'll be at a level one trauma center with a level four NICU. Did you start as a new grad in a level one? Um, yes, I started at a level one trauma center in the, in the county. So it was um, it's a good learning good experience. <laughs> I got everything. Yeah, I got lots and lots of experience. Um, and I actually started off on mother baby, which was not what I expected at the time, but in hindsight, I'm grateful for the experience that I did get. So I will say for anyone who is really trying to be a labor and delivery nurse, I know it can be more difficult to find those jobs. Um, But if you can't get labor and delivery, the next best step is not a year in med surge. Don't do that. Yes. (laughs) Amen. Amen. Thank you. You do not have to pay your dues in med surge. That's old school thinking. It's old school thinking, and it's not really helpful if you're going to go to labor and delivery because you're obviously not going to have moms and babies in med surge. Um, You're going to learn lots of stuff in med surge, but it's not really going to be related to labor and delivery. So the next best thing is mother baby, because that is you're still going to learn a lot of those med surge types of skills like you're going to have a a ton of patients. (laughs) Um, My ratios were 
anywhere from like five to six couplets, which is high, but I was in Texas. Um, So, you know, you're definitely going to learn how to prioritize, how to multitask. And you're going to, if you're at a level one trauma center, you're going to have some sick patients. So I took care of some really, really, really sick moms. That's like another misconception about labor and delivery is that like everyone's healthy and no one's really that sick. And I'm like, listen, I'm taking care of patients with cancer, gunshot wounds, stab wounds, kidney failure, liver failure, vehicle accidents. Yes. Because pretty much anything and everything that can happen to like, (laughs) I'm like pregnant people aren't excluded from getting sick, getting car wrecks, having heart conditions, having it's, it's all the same sick people. And then when they get pregnant, they're over in labor and delivery. No one wants a pregnant person in their hospital. They want them in L and D. Like they definitely want them in labor and delivery. Um, so, I consider L and D critical care, and I think that 100%. that's a misconception is people don't consider that. But I'm like, you guys do a lot of you do code blues on moms, you do codes on the babies. You are a critical care unit. Yes, and we're um, and of course depending on what uh, level trauma center you're at, it's definitely going to vary. So like if you're at like a smaller critical access hospital, yeah, you're going to even patient pregnant or not, they're going to go to an ICU because you don't, you just don't have like the, the staff and the resources. But typically at a level one trauma center where they're doing thousands of deliveries a month, you're going to have several OBGYNs, hospitalists that are there 24-7. You're going to have several anesthesiologists that are there. You're going to have cardiologists that come and do consults. You have all of your resources to keep your pregnant patient on L&D, but also like help with whatever condition that they may have. And there's also such thing as OBICU. I did not even know that that existed until I became a labor and delivery nurse and I was working at other hospitals. And I'm like, oh, they have specific OBICUs at some hospitals. So if you're interested in that critical, super, like taking care of super sick patients, but you also want to do the OB side of things, there are um, OBICUs. So how fast can something in the delivery room go wrong and become all of a sudden a critical situation? Yeah, like when do you get nervous? Like what makes you mm-hmm. a little like, ooh? Um, well, I will say... If you're not nervous, it's time for you to retire. I feel like you, every nurse, no matter like how much experience you have, you should always be a little nervous. Um, It it keeps you on your toes because you never want to be too cocky because that's when it gets dangerous. Like, you know what I mean? Um, And I would say in labor and delivery, how quickly can things go bad? Um, Within seconds. I mean, really. I mean, um, but I will say... You know, as a labor and delivery nurse, you're keeping your eye on the strip. And if the strip is, uh, you know, you have category one, which is great. Category two is meh. And then you have category three, which is like stat C-section. So sometimes you'll see the strip go from category one to category two to category three. Let's go for a stat. Um, And sometimes it just, sometimes it just happens quickly. You never know. Sometimes uh, the heart rate just goes down and you, you go in the room. I'll say when I start to get nervous is when, you know, if there's a deceleration in the heart rate rate, I will go in the room and I will do my interventions. And then after I'm doing my interventions for three to four minutes and none of them are working and the heart rate has been down past that four, five minute mark, that's when it's like, okay, let's call the doctor. We may have to do a C-section because 
you know, the heart rate can't be down much longer after this. Um, so, but definitely when it comes to nervousness, I will, and then I tell my patients this, I actually don't get nervous about a stat C-section. It used to scare the hell out of me. I, when I started as a new grad, I used to have nightmares. C-sections, <laughs> I'm so scared. But now I tell my patients, I'm like, listen, I've been doing this for 10 years. I've literally done thousands of C-sections. All a stat C-section is, is a little bit faster. It's this regular C-section that we do every single day. I know you as a patient, you don't go through this every single day, but to reassure you, we do this every single day. And a stat C-section just means we're going to move a little bit faster, girl. And I give them that little speech right before I pull the plug out the wall. I'm like, listen, girl, I'll pull this plug out the wall. It's going to be like, woo, woo, woo. And a bunch of people going to run in. Don't be scared. <laughs> I'm like, just look at, look me in the eye. If I'm good, then you're good. You just take slow, deep breaths for your baby. We're going to move fast and you're going to be okay. And they're like, all right, let's go. Let's roll down the hallway. I want you as my Ooh, L&D I nurse. Say, I like, <laughs> if I ever get pregnant, can you do a travel assignment in California? No, like, screw that. I'm flying oh you out. <laughs> <laughs> Another crazy thing is I've actually, um, and it was just a coincidence I ended up delivering one of my friends, like my best friends from Aww. high school. Like we cheered together and everything. And I just happened, she moved to one city and I just happened to be a travel nurse at that hospital in that city. And it was crazy because she posted on Instagram. She was like, today's the day I'm having a baby. I'm here for my induction. And I was getting ready for work in the morning. I was like, dang, that hospital room looks so familiar. It looks just like my assignment. And I still didn't think anything about it. And then I got there and I saw her name on the board and I like ran in the room and I was like, okay, I really want to be your nurse, but if it's going to be awkward, cause my hand's going to be up here for JJ, like I totally understand. <laughs> <laughs> Just let me know. And she was like, no, I want you to be my nurse. Oh my God. I'm so excited. So it was really cool. <laughs> I love like what a small world nursing is. One of my best friends from elementary school had her baby in my NICU and oh. I was like a mama bear. Like I made that my primary patient. I made my friends sign up to be our primaries and then. Her brother ended up meeting one of the nurses that I made sign up for her, and they got married. Yeah. Oh, that is that so is so cute. We love you. You're welcome. Congratulations. For you a husband. I love she listens that. to the podcast. We love you. But yeah, I just that's so cool that you yeah. were able to like be there in such a like life pivotal moment. Oh, it was so crazy. And then every time I and it was like my first year as a travel nurse. So every time I see her little girl, I'm like, oh my gosh, she's so big. And That's she's awesome. like, I it make you feel old. Yes. Now that yes. all of our primaries are getting so, yes. When I'm getting invites to seventh birthday parties from <gasps> NICU babies, I'm like, <laughs> like been a nurse for a long time. That's so crazy. But I'm not gonna lie, I cannot wait to be that nurse on labor and delivery where there's like a new grad. Like, oh, how old are you? I'm 21. Girl, I've been a nurse since before you were born. <laughs> we all know them. Okay, so I have a really selfish question to ask you because I'm really curious about this. How much does it matter when you're choosing an OB? Like, what are some qualities in OB that you think are, like, really good that you should be looking out for as a future mom? Um, I would definitely – I'm so glad you asked this because most people don't actually choose their OB. Most people just kind of go with whatever random OB was doing their pap smear. Yeah. <laughs> so they're like, okay, cool. Not this this psycho. Be my OB. <laughs> <laughs> or they just like, I don't know. Most of the, yeah. So I'm really glad that you asked that. Um, I would say number one, you want to have, well, 
I would definitely try to deliver at a hospital that has a, if, if it's in the area, a level three or four NICU, especially if you're high risk, simply because you don't want to be in a situation where you deliver, your baby has to go to a level three NICU and you're stuck at the hospital and your baby shipped off to another hospital. So that's something to definitely think about if you are high risk, you know, you end up being a high risk mom or whatever. Um, when it comes to your OB-GYN, one thing to consider is OB-GYN compared to midwife see which one may be, you know, um, the better option for you. Midwives tend to be, give more holistic care. Not all MDs are not holistic, but midwives, just the way that they're trained are, you know, midwives training, they tend to be more holistic. And also midwives started off as nurses. So they just tend to have a much, much better bedside manner. And most midwives were labor and delivery nurses for several years. So they, they, they have a stronger bond with their patient. Um, obviously I'm a little biased, so I tend to lean towards <laughs> midwives. Um, but when it comes to OB-GYNs, I think, or midwives, I think it's very important to be upfront about what your birth preferences are to make sure that you guys are aligned. Because a lot of times as a, an L&D nurse, I, you know, you tend to know the doctors that are just not into the, we call it like natural granola, whatever you want to call it. It's like crunchy granola. Yes. Yeah, crunchy granola. You know, um, there's some doctors who are just totally not into that at all. And they're just not for it. And as an LED nurse, I'm like, how did this patient end up with that doctor? And then they clash the whole entire time. But ultimately, to prevent that from happening, you have to discuss your preferences for your birth. On your, the, the first um, time you meet up, y'all should be talking about that. And you shouldn't be bringing up things like, oh, by the way, I want to keep my placenta. You shouldn't bring that up at the hospital. That right. should have been planned and brought up weeks and weeks before. Um, so that's like a huge thing because that will help you figure out, like you basically tell your doctor whatever your preferences are. Like, by the way, I want to go totally natural. I definitely, I don't want an epidural. I don't want, you know, a, whatever it is and just have a conversation with your doctor and fill them out and see, you know, whether you guys agree or disagree on the plan of care, that's going to get you a long way. And then also talk to other moms and see what their experience is are with their doctors um, and if they had a good experience. And another really important thing to consider is I've had this happen a couple of times with different patients is um, like say the doctor has a partner and they love, love, love their doctor. And they're like, oh, I hate Dr. So-and-so that's their partner. If you absolutely hate Dr. So-and-so you have to really consider that your doctor does not work 24 seven. So there's a good chance that you may end up seeing their partner and their partner may very well be like end up delivering you. So that's just another thing to consider. So do you have any like good tips and tricks for future moms of how to come in as an ideal with a ideal pregnancy? Hmm. I would say for an ideal pregnancy, number one, come with an open mind and it's kind of like we talked about the plan versus preference. That's why it should be preferences come with an open mind because everything may not go as planned. It just, it probably won't. I mean, it just, it is what it is. We can't predict. I tell my patients all the time, honey, if I could predict everything exactly, I'd be making a hell of a lot more money. Okay. Like, <laughs> like we have what's called the NICU nurse curse. <laughs> all of our friends that are, have been NICU nurses 
always end up with a unplanned C-section. Mm-hmm. It's like the NICU nurse curse. Mm-hmm. It's like they don't want a C-section. They have their preferences. They've been in the L&D room as a NICU nurse. And for whatever reason, their delivery always goes wrong. Unplanned C-section. Mm-hmm. I can count like 10 friends of NICU nurses. <laughs> yes. And it's, you know, and, and just nurse curse in general. Because yes. labor and delivery nurses come in and it's like, oh, Lord, this is going to be crazy. I don't want them. <laughs> <laughs> Um, But definitely when it comes to C-sections, I definitely say be open-minded around that. I feel like a lot of people have a lot of fear, fear and anxiety around C-sections. And they come in like, I don't want a C-section. That's going to be the end of the world if I have to have a C-section. And I'm like, listen, I don't want you to have a C-section either. But I also know as a labor and delivery nurse, that's a real possibility with anyone. Even if you're low risk, it is a possibility, like period. So instead of going in with the mindset of, oh my God, that can't happen to me. It's going to be the worst thing ever. It's like, this is definitely not what I had planned, but if it goes that down that way, like, can we talk about it? And as a labor and delivery nurse, I am upfront and honest with my patients. And I talk to them throughout the day. If their strip isn't looking good and it, look, and it looks like it's headed that way, I definitely start talking to them about it. I go over the strip with them and usually they're so educated by the time the doctor's about to call the c-section they're nodding their head they're like mm-hmm, sarah told me i've been <laughs> looking at the these day, I just want a safe baby yeah and exactly like if i feel like if the patient that's what makes c-section scary when the patient is not involved in the plan of care and they don't understand what's going on they're confused they're scared and they're anxious but if you're talking to them throughout the day like this is what's going on And if A, B, and C keeps happening, we're going to have no choice but to do a C-section. So for example, one thing that um, happened, it's like sometimes the contractions stress the baby out. And every time the mom gets into a good active labor, the contractions stress the baby out and then they're not dilating. Sometimes you're just between a rock and a hard place. You can't have a baby if you're not dilating and you can't, you know, keep dilating unless we give you the medication to help you dilate. But then when we give you that, it stresses the baby out. And it's just like this, you know, ongoing circle. So it's like, if it, if that ends up happening and if you explain it to the patient, 99% of the time, they're like, Oh Lord, I see what you're saying. Yep. Yep. Every time I start contract. Yep. Okay. All right, well, let's go ahead and get ready for the C-section. Like, I'm okay with that because at the end of the day, they want is what's best for their baby. And most moms are going to, it, I think it empowers them to give give them, I usually, they you, I, well, hopefully they have like the opportunity to, we discuss the plan of care like ahead of time. And I'm like, you know, we're going to do A and we're going to do B. And if this keeps happening, C-section would be the next step. And usually they're ready to take, they're like, okay, I get it. Let's go. And it's a decision we all make together. Um, but, you know, the stat C-sections, they happen. I mean, sometimes you break the bag of water and there's a cord prolapse and it's a stat C-section. That can happen to anybody at any time. I mean, or a nuchal cord. You know, so. I think it's cool how much education you provide compared to other units because a lot of um, in the prenatal period, education revolves around new mom and what to do when they have the baby and maybe like some minor like laboring classes, but it doesn't really go over the fact of like fetal strip monitoring and what you're looking at and indications for C-sections. So I think it's great when they have a nurse like you that takes so much time to educate about what's really happening during the labor process. I really love educating my patients. Um, 
I do. I, and <laughs> the, some labor and delivery nurses, like they laugh at me because one thing I love about, I just love the first time mom and dads, they're so cute. And I love educating them and telling them what's going on. And it's just so cute. I just, I just love it. Um, but some labor and delivery nurses are like, oh gosh, it's so repetitive, you know, but I just, I think it's just the cutest thing ever. And it's just, and you can always tell the first time mom and dads, cause they come in with like a whole suitcase and the mom's all dressed all cute because she don't know what's about to hit her. <laughs> Got her mascara on. Like, like don't wear white. Makeup on, hair done, dressed all cute. You're like, oh, Lord. Oh, and then you go. can always tell, like, the patient who's had, like, six kids because they ain't got no bag. <laughs> and they're like, you got a toothbrush? I didn't bring one, but I know y'all got one here. Like, <laughs> like, it's so funny. But I definitely agree. I think that education in labor and delivery and in any, you know, on nursing in general, I feel like educating your patient and keeping them involved in the plan of care helps with so much. It helps relieve their, their anxiety. And I, I'm a strong believer in keeping them very much involved in the plan of care. I think it makes a huge, huge difference. So I have a couple of delivery related questions. What are your thoughts on VBACs? Or can you tell everyone what a VBAC Ooh. is? I think it's a yes. controversial topic. Very, like, yeah. Especially for a NICU nurse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'll tell you, I'm a little biased. So we'll be back as virginal, virginal, <laughs> vaginal birth <laughs> after C-section. Um, so you have VBAC. And then in case you guys have ever heard of TOLAC, trial of labor after C-section. So you'll have your TOLAC. I've never heard yeah. of that. I only know when the baby nope. comes out. That's why I'm you like, know, I don't know these things from you. Same. Yes. Like I feel like in OB, we speak a different, totally different language during the port. We're like, yeah, this is TOLAC. Hopefully she'll get a VBAC. And people are like, what? <laughs> <laughs> but yes. Yeah, so I definitely think there's some doctors who, and this is a very good when it comes to picking an OB gen. There are some doctors who absolutely will not do a VBAC, like period, there's no discussion. And it is insane to me that a patient can go a whole nine months and that not come up and they get to the hospital and they're like, wait a minute, I want a VBAC. And the doctor's like, no, you're getting a C-section. And it turns into like this whole thing. Um, so when it comes to vaginal births after cesarean, I think it is totally possible, but it depends on why you had the cesarean. So for example, like the instance that I just gave, like say you came into labor, they broke your bag of water, there's a cord prolapse and you know you had a sassy section. Well, in that situation, you absolutely should have a trial of labor because you, you didn't actually get a real try at it. Um, now there's some patients who come in and they really want to be back. And I'm like, Oh, and I always ask, okay, well, why did you have your last C-section? And they're like, well, um, I had my last C-section because my baby was, you know, eight pounds. No, we'll say first baby was seven pounds and I got to complete and I pushed and pushed and pushed for four hours. And then the shoulders got stuck and we had to go for a stat C-section and my baby almost died. I'm like, okay, well, the chart says this baby is nine pounds. <laughs> so why, you know, like that does not make any this sense. This is not going to be a better situation. <laughs> this is not going to be, you know, good. So yeah, yeah, it definitely depends on how their first labor went and why they got that first C-section. But um, yeah, I've done a lot 
of VBACs. And I said I was biased at the beginning because at the county hospital that I started off as, like as a staff nurse, one of the doctors there, she was doing this huge study for VBACs. It was when it was kind of 10 years ago. So it was when it was kind of like a very like new thing. And she, people would fly in to do like VBACs with her. So they did thousands and thousands. So that was kind of like the norm to me as an LNG nurse. Um, because before, I mean, back in the day, they basically, the risk with having a VBAC is that, you know, if you have, a C-section, you have a scar on your uterus and it can increase the chances of uterine rupture because you have that scar there and it can break apart. Um, but studies have shown that, and of course there's different like risk factors, but studies have shown that for most people, it's like a less than one to 3% chance that that would actually happen. So it's not as risky as like people think now, of course, if anyone listening to this, yeah, it's not oh, medical advice. Disclaimer, disclaimer. Just, yeah, my disclaimer. Always, yeah, Always yeah, yeah. discuss these options with your doctor. Yeah, don't yes. trust what we said this is as for educational law. purposes only. Yes. So yeah. I think I have like NICU nurse PTSD, and then now working on transports, I do the NICU transports from other hospitals to our level four NICU. So I only get those VBACs gone wrong or things like that. So I did pick up a um, one for body cooling that was born hypoxic. Apgars were like zero, zero, two or something and was already seizing when I got there. It was not good. Mom was on a ventilator in the ICU. She had a uterine rupture and wasn't looking good at all and so it gives me this like NICU nurse I think PTSD. we I think NICU nurses we tend to be on that yeah. side just because we see all of the L&D gone wrong yeah, yeah we only see the wrong I don't see the hundreds of successful B or thousands of successful VBACs that you were trained at mm-hmm. yeah and I will say um it definitely depends. And as a labor and delivery nurse, you treat your VBAC patients completely different than you treat someone who has a high C-section, um, especially when it comes to, um, you know, starting Pitocin on them and starting up those contractions. Like you're not going to titrate it as fast or tit- or uh, put it as high. You're going to start low and go slow when it comes to a VBAC patient. And if they start showing any signs of uterine rupture, because there are signs, if they start showing any signs, then that's you, you're way quicker to pull mm-hmm. the plug. You're like, ah, uh, uh, okay, let's and go ahead. Out, let's top out, top <laughs> out. <laughs> like, you know, so. Um, Pregnant terrifies me. I know. I just even think you, PTSD is real. And even labor and delivery nurses, um, as me as an LND nurse, I say when it comes to um, being pregnant and labor, ignorance is true bliss. I wish I didn't yeah, know absolutely. everything. I, know. That I, I did not know what I know. I know. Yeah, yeah. There, it like when people. One of my cousins, who's also my best friend, um, she's not pregnant or anything yet, but she really wants a home delivery. And I was like, oh, I was, that was my, my next question. I was like, once this wraps up, I was going to be like, so another controversial topic. How do you feel about home deliveries? I yeah, let's let's do it. I don't like them at all, and I get it that with COVID and stuff happening, it that has definitely deterred a lot of people. Just don't want to be at the hospital with COVID and the baby and all that stuff. The limited visitation is a huge factor. Yes, with COVID. Yes, 
But I just feel like it ultimately, because, you know, you guys are NICU nurses, I'm a labor delivery nurse, there is so many things that can go wrong so quickly and minutes count. That's like my pet peeve when people are like, oh, I'm only 10 minutes from the hospital. Oh, nope, excuse me. Nope. 10 minutes like, without being intubated is, is a time. That's <laughs> brain death. Yes. I'm looking at brain death in 10 minutes. <sighs> So I just, I, I, I don't like it. And even if you're low risk, there's still things that can happen. Again, I'm biased because I'm a labor and delivery nurse and I see a lot of things that go wrong because the fact is a lot of deliveries go perfectly fine. But for me personally, as a mother, like I, if something went wrong and my baby was at home and that like, I wouldn't be able to live with it. And I, and anyone I love, I'm me and my cousin yeah, like, no. have this conversation. I'm like, we're just I'm gonna we're gonna have a drag down argument, honey. You going, but I also told my cousin the thing is like you have options. Um, I have done a water birth delivery with a midwife in a hospital. Right. Yeah. Nice. yeah. I just realize that those options exist. Can you kind of give us feedback? I don't or think like, people even realize midwives are in hospitals either. Like, yes. Or even like, what's the difference between like that and then a birthing center? Um, so the biggest difference between that and a birthing center is the birthing center doesn't have that operating room. So, so if you can't the, stat C-section. You can't do a stat C-section. So it gets, it, again, it goes back to like those minutes. If it is a true emergency, a true stat, like if, if the birthing center is 10 minutes from the hospital, yeah. Um, so I would definitely try, like, ideally for me, myself, I would want a, a midwife or one of the OBGYNs that I know. I, obviously, I know a lot. <laughs> um, and I would um, do it, you know, at the hospital. And, well, I'm not going to say whether I would do natural or epidural, because I know it's going to skew a lot of people's. <laughs> no, I was gonna tell us, tell us. Too. I want to know. That. Give us all the details. I mean, me personally, like I'm definitely getting an epidural. Like there's no question about I it. I would be asking for it when before they're even like, ma'am, it's not indicated yet. <laughs> like, well, I don't want the anesthesiologist to be at some stat C section and I missed the window. Like, give me. I'm so oh my gosh, it's so funny that you bring it up. Cause I tell my patients that, but I feel like they just don't listen to you. Or they're so like stubborn, they're like, Well, I know I'm not gonna get it. And I'm like, that's fine. But in case you change your mind, I'm just gonna let you know it's not immediate. It it could be like 30 minutes, especially right. when, you know, my or a couple hours, depending yeah. on yeah. My last unit that I worked on, um, there's over 50 beds and there's two anesthesiologists and That's they may both be in the operating room or they may be doing two other epidurals or there may be six other people before you. So like right. you really have to like, so, and of course you get the patient that's like, ah, I'm dying, give me that epidural. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm so sorry. I like, told you so. I don't think people realize that it's not just, oh, the nurse does it it's like oh I'm gonna go get your morphine I'll be right back it's like no it could be a wait yeah there could definitely be a way and you it's it's hilarious because you have the patient like you Sam that's like before they're not even contract we're like doing asking I'm like I'm getting their assessment done and asking their history and we're signing consents they have they're not even in labor yet and they like so when can I get the epidural that's a contraction yet I don't want to just give, just it, give to it to me. me. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have the patient that's like, oh no, I would never get an epidural. I don't want any pain meds. And I'm like, that's fine. But you just cried when I started your IV. So I don't know how you're going <laughs> to But like, that's cool. It's your decision. But I'm just trying to give you a heads up. If you cried, 
when I started this IV, I don't know how well you're going to handle labor. But I definitely I feel think like God gave us these tools to make our lives better. We should use them. <laughs> yes. Thank you. That's a great way of looking at it. Yeah. But you know what an anesthesiologist told me forever ago, and it always stuck with me. And of course, obviously, he's biased. He's for the door, right? But he was just like, when patients say, because you also have the patients that's like, I want to see how far I can get. And I hate hearing that as an LD nurse because that. it's oh. just like, when they want to see as far as they can get, usually when you go from like early labor to active labor, it's like zero to 100. You're handling it, you're handling it, and then it just switches and all of a sudden you're dying and then you can't sit still for the epidural and then it's like a whole mess. So the patient that's like, oh, I'm trying to hold out until I almost said, I just can't handle it. I'm like, girl, you, you got to sit still for this epidural. Um, but the anesthesiologist, he said, the patient that says like, oh, I want to see how far I can get. And he said, that's equivalent to saying like, yeah, I have um, heart surgery. So go ahead and start it without anesthesia. And I want to see how far I can get. <laughs> like, you know, like, yeah. What is the point? <laughs> I also don't ever want to miss the boat where they're like, no, it's coming now. The baby's coming. Like, there's no time. Yeah. That's my worst nightmare. That happens. I will say um, that's a common misconception. So as an LNG nurse, well, okay. Too much TV. Well, okay. It depends. If it's your sixth baby, and that thing is about to fly out, like, yeah, no, you're, no. So as a labor and delivery nurse, if you're a multiple, which means you've had multiple babies, two or three kids, and you're at like eight or nine centimeters, I'm not going to let you sit up and get your epidural because of safety purposes. That's just not an option because a baby can just fly out. Now, if you're a first-time <laughs> mom, you could be a first-time mom and you could be nine centimeters for three hours. So, but the reason why they say don't, uh, uh, the, the misconception is a lot of times when people quote unquote, like can't get that epidural, it's not really because they're like nine or 10 centimeters. I've had a patient 10 centimeters complete sit up and get that epidural because she could sit up and sit still. The problem is when most people get to like 10 centimeters, they cannot sit. It's so painful. The head is right there. <laughs> Right, it's right. so painful to actually even like sit up. They're contracting every one to two minutes. They cannot sit still. It's just not a realistic possibility. Um, so, and I tell my patients this. I'm like, if you are, think I get it. If you don't want your epidural immediately, which I actually I don't recommend that you get your epidural epidural immediately because part of <laughs> so Sam, Sam don't do that. <laughs> um, and the reason is. You know, when you're in labor, you want to get up and you want to move your hips around and you want, you want movement. You want to be able to turn from side to side as much as you can. So in early labor, and also early labor can be 12 to 24 hours. So do you really want to have an epidural for 48 hours if you have a longer labor? So there's different things to consider. But, you know, once it, you start getting closer to active labor, once your contractions get closer to two to three minutes apart and once you are actively dilating and the definition of active labor is around anywhere from like six to seven centimeters you're contracting every two to three minutes that's active labor because in early labor you can be one centimeter and then four hours later be two centimeters like <laughs> early labor can last a long time and then I mean, even like you said with faster. first mom i remember working in the nicu and they'd be like Oh, Sam, you're getting this admission. She's nine centimeters. And I'm like, cool. Is it her first or her sixth? And they're like, first baby. I'm like, all right, I'm going to lunch. Exactly. <laughs> you're like, okay, I'm going to lunch. It's cool. I'm like, yeah. Peace. For this admission, we're good. 
for sure like, no this is her sixth baby i'm like all right, oh, right. right. and yeah. we're getting ready <laughs> yep exactly God and so God. i tell my patients especially first time moms if they know they want an epidural but they don't want to get it too early or whatever i tell them whenever the contractions start to take your breath away that's when it's time to get your epidural because it'll get to a point where you're contracting and you're talking to your husband. You're like, well, this one's kind of strong. And then so you, <laughs> you gotta laugh, get through it. Like, and then you're breathing in between them. Like, okay. And then it gets to the point where you're like, oh God. And your husband's trying to talk to you. You're like, don't touch me. Get away from me. Like you're like, <laughs> all right, it's time. Yeah, time. It's epidural time. Okay. Um, okay. And because if you try to push past that point, going to get to the point where you're just screaming you're all over the place and you can't sit still for your epidural um so yeah so but use I usually, gravity to your advantage for the first part just do the ball yeah. stand up like use gravity and then yes. get your actually want to know what okay. do you think is like the best birth position oh well <laughs> or who Oh, I don't even know, but I've heard the all best. the talks of like the back with the stirrup ups isn't actually like physiologically. Or like the, the, the peanut ball. What is that? Okay. So <laughs> the reason why I said for who, because the back with the stirrups up, that is the best position for, for the, the OB. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> it is the best position for the doctor and um, basically it gives them a full view of everything that's going on. And if the shoulders get stuck, they can, they're able to easily maneuver and stuff. Right. Um, But technically the best position to have a baby in would be um, like the squatting position, like holding a rope or a bar up top in a squatting position. Now I will tell you 99, well not say 99, 90% of people can't do that because they have an epidural. You can't squat with an epidural. Right. Um, and yes, like 90% of people (laughs) get an epidural. I think that's a huge misconception. I feel like people think like, oh, it's 50, 50. No, like nine out of 10 patients have an epidural. Um, so, but if you can't do the moving and stuff, this is another huge misconception. Getting an epidural does not stop your labor. It does not stop your labor. It doesn't slow it down. What slows down labor is when you stop moving. So think of your, you know, your hips are like a a diamond shape and the head is trying to get and mold through. And when you're moving around, you're giving the baby to slowly, giving that baby room to slowly come down. And when you have an epidural, you just sit there and the baby's just wedged. (laughs) Like, okay, mama, I'm trying to come through, but you just sit here, you know? So that's where... The peanut ball really comes in handy. And the peanut ball is literally the the shape of a peanut. And you put it in between the legs. And what it does is, um, this is so, like, I'm doing, like, hand movements with you guys. But I know this is a (laughs) podcast episode. So I'm like, how do I I explain this? Legs over in between. Yeah, so you would lay, like, on your side. And then you would put the peanut ball in between your legs and what it does is it opens up your pelvis wider to give that baby room to turn and come down so i am such a huge fan of the peanut ball as a labor and delivery nurse my like my patients crack me i am the i'm the nurse that puts my patients in these crazy ass positions and they're always laughing they're like sarah what are you doing i'm like listen when that baby is gonna work (laughs) Get like, that baby out. 
they'll give me a report in the morning and be like, yeah, she's been stuck at eight centimeters. She's probably going to get a C-section. We're waiting for the doctor to get here at 9 a.m. And I'll call the doctor and I'll be like, eat breakfast. I got this. Let me do these <laughs> positions. And I'll like put the patient in all these like crazy positions. And then the patient's like, oh crap, I'm feeling pressure. I'm like, mm-hmm. Because that head has room to like turn and come down. I didn't um, know that thing so- existed. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, and cool. I'm so glad you mentioned that because some hospitals don't have peanut balls. That's what so I was going to ask. Do they all have one. those? That is like a pro tip. If you were going into labor and delivery, go number one, I would buy my own peanut ball just in general for like sanitary reasons. Of course we clean them, but it's still just kind of gross. I think one of my hospitals actually, per, they provide them for oh. each patient. The other yes. one, I don't know. I've never so, heard of it. One of the hospitals that I worked at, each patient was provided with their own peanut ball and you, they came with a pump and a ball and, you know, I would blow it up and I would give it to them and then they took it home. Um, that is great. And you can also ask the facility, like they, they, they usually do like a hospital tour, NICU tour. So you can ask during the tour if they're, if it's provided to them, but most hospitals, um, I don't know. I guess it depends. They're they're becoming more popular. Like Can we buy them staff. on Amazon? Yes, and that's what, okay. that's what I <laughs> tell like my my Just friends. I'm own. like two things: buy yourself a peanut ball on Amazon. Also, buy yourself um, those pregnancy pillows that are like the shape of like the big oh. S. Those we should oh get one gosh. of those anyways. I want that just yeah. for myself to sleep because I oh, like absolutely. to sleep. Like, yeah, absolutely. So good baby shower gift. A peanut ball. Peanut ball. Yes. Oh, Ooh, peanut ball and the foil that's shaped like an S. Because let me tell you, the my poor patients, they'd be like, can I get another pillow? I'm like, girl, you in labor. You can have 15,000 pillows, girl. It's going to hurt. <laughs> oh, this is a good question. What are the best um, gifts to give a mom for like a hospital bag? Or like, what's the things that you would actually use that, you know, you could give to a mom? So I would say the must-haves are... A very good, like the the big long S shaped pillow, um, simply because the hospital pillows are like crap. And the yeah, and, and you have to think about how a labor and delivery bed is built for you not to sleep in it. It's not our plan for you to be here two or three days. They're not comfortable. The bed actually breaks down right smack dab in the middle for the delivery. So there's a huge indention in the middle that makes your back hurt. So it's just not a comfortable bed. So you want to make sure you have pillows. I think the breastfeeding breastfeeding um, pillow thingy that um, I don't even know like a boppy, called. the boppy or the yeah the boppy friend. Yeah, this is how y'all gonna tell that I'm such a labor nurse and like not a. You're like I don't know those things. I'm like <laughs> oh, after the baby comes out, bye girl, my mom. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yes. Good luck, you. Have fun breastfeeding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, speaking of breastfeeding, um, another thing that I've seen patients do is. A lot of them will buy like this cute little nightgowns and um, all that stuff and buy buy some sort of gown or top that makes it easy to breastfeed. Like you don't want a top mm-hmm. that you're messing around with and you're tired and you're exhausted and find a top that's easy to slip. Remember, you're going to be, you're going to have an IV, you're going to have, so don't try to get nothing fancy. Easy boob access. Yeah, easy boob access and um, <laughs> don't even bring underwear, number one, like whatever. Modesty is out the window. <laughs> number one, modesty is out the window. And number two, you're going to have so much postpartum bleeding, like whatever underwear you buy, you're going to throw it away. So just use the hospital mesh undies. They're actually really comfortable and super stretchy. Um, so don't, 
Yeah, maybe underwear for your last day when you're actually no. I would still say use the mesh undies. <laughs> yeah, take one to go. Take one for the take road. Go. I mean, I will say and every patient is different, right? Like some women just love their hair and makeup. And I had one of my patients, she was about to go for a C section and it wasn't stat, it was just like urgent. And there is another patient ahead of her that was an actual stat. So we're like, oh, it's gonna be about an hour before you go back. You know, baby's looking good. She's like, okay. And she was a makeup artist. So she pulled out her whole stand, her, <laughs> her lights, and she put on her, her lashes, lashes <laughs> did a full face. Her friend had like a curling iron. They were curling her hair. Right. And she was like, baby, my uh, picture's about to look cute in that green room. <laughs> it's looking like Princess Kate. <laughs> so right. it's like, if you want, you know, you can um, definitely, you can do, you can bring makeup if you want. And honestly, if you have an epidural, like, definitely be wearing makeup in labor because you're not really feeling too much of too uncomfortable. Um, what are other things that you have to have? Another like good question to ask is a lot of patients will come in. Oh, it's so cute. It's the first time moms. They're like, I brought snacks for my labor. And the hospital is like, well, you can't eat. <laughs> so nope. the first thing you want to ask is, are you able to eat during labor? Because it really depends, depends. Um, as a labor and delivery travel nurse, it is so crazy how much it varies from place to place. Like, gosh, there's some facilities you can't eat, you can't drink, you can't do anything. There's other facilities that are like, eh, she's not an active labor. What, you want to eat a little protein bar? Eat it. You want something to drink? Cool. You need electrolytes. You're in labor. Go ahead. Drink. Um, so you should definitely, that's something to discuss with your doctor, see what the policy is. Um, those are little things that upset people so much that are very black and white that you can you can prevent that when you just ask your doctor during your appointment before you get there. Like, what is the typical plan? So you can set your expectations. Um, really good tip. But if you can, a lot of places won't let you eat. Well, if you're an, it depends. I'm just saying it depends. Um, but some will let you drink like clear liquids. So if you want to bring your own clear Jello. Um, Jello, popsicles, Gatorade is really good because sometimes like labor is, it's truly like running a marathon. Your uterus is one of the largest muscles in your body and it is contracting every two to three minutes for 24, 48, 72 hours. It is exhausting. So having that Gatorade gives you that boost of energy that you need for you and your baby. So yeah. That's um, one good thing to bring if they'll allow you to drink the Gatorade. <laughs> Advice for partners Ooh. for while mom's laboring. Yes. Ooh, this is so good. I think my sister-in-law almost killed my brother when she had her first baby <laughs> because she couldn't eat. And he had a beef sandwich that he was yes. eating in the room, like a Philly cheesesteak or something. And she was like, what now my dick. whole room smells like beef. And yes. you're eating in front of me. She was like, I honestly like w wanted to hit him with a pillow. This is your brother? Yes. God. I'm not surprised. No. And then when the baby was born, she was like, she had a C-section. She saw a catheter in and the baby's like crying and he's sleeping. And she threw a pillow at him across the room because he didn't even wake up to like pick the baby. Because she can't pick the baby up herself. Yep. And she was like yelling his name, yelling his name. He was sound asleep. And she finally threw a pillow at his head. It's so like, hilarious. This happens all the time in labor and delivery. And it just like cracks me up because sometimes, you know, as the mom, like you're in labor, you're in the worst pain ever. You're not sleeping. And I've had patients, they'll call me to the room. They'll press the call like, Sarah, come to the room. I come to the room. They're like, can you wake him up? I'm like, is there anything I can get you? No. 
I just want you to wake him up because he's sleeping like a baby. And yeah. I don't like it. Wake him up. And he's like sitting there snoring. Like, wake him up. He's going to go to this torture with me. <laughs> yep. Yep. If I'm in pain, you're in pain. <laughs> and squeeze your hand. <laughs> funny story. I uh, had one of my patients, her husband, he was so anxious the whole time. And he was like sweaty and shaky. And it's, I, I tell the husbands all the time, I'm like, you need to step out and you need to go and eat something. Because a lot of times they're so nervous and scared for their wife. They don't even eat. And then like when it, and that's why a lot of husbands pass out during delivery. It's not even them seeing the blood. It's like their wife has been in labor for 48 hours. They haven't eaten anything. They're tired and they're exhausted and they just like pass out. So I told the husband, I'm like, listen, you need to go get something to eat. He's like, oh, I'll get something to eat later. And later on in the shift, do it now. Yeah, later on in the shift, he's like on the couch. He's sweating, like cold sweats. I'm like, you need to eat some cracker. I bought him like crackers and orange juice, peanut butter. He's like, I can't, I can't. I said, why can't you? And he was like, my wife said if she can't eat, I can't eat either. Like, (laughs) that's my kind of woman. Is her name Sam? That sounds like something I would say. For sure. Like, this poor guy is like really oh. over here suffering. Oh, but oh. it was so funny. And I turned to her. I was like, you are getting electrolytes through your IV, man. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Equal so rights. He to eat something. And she was like, fine. He can have a cracker. <laughs> it was like not for it. it was Savage. So um, but when it comes to your partner, I will say yes. When it comes to the eating thing, when... They'll typically ask me as a labor and delivery nurse, like, hey, I know my wife can't eat, but it's okay if I eat. And I, I say, I mean, you can eat downstairs. I don't even let them eat in the room because I just, I can't imagine how that feels. Like they're in labor, they can't eat. And a lot of times when you're pregnant, you're super sensitive to smells and stuff. And you like a like, beef sandwich. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, that is just not going to be a good combination. And they're usually like, oh, you know, it clicks with yeah. them. You know, men can be so oblivious. They're like, oh yeah, yeah, you're right. And then I'm like, and when you go downstairs, I don't care how food, how good the food is. Tell your wife it was nasty. Okay. Yeah, there you go. Yes. <laughs> Love this. Like, oh, it wasn't good. It was dry. You wouldn't want it anyway. Oh, this hospital like, food okay. is crap. <laughs> Even though hospital food has come up. Some it of the bacteria food is actually pretty good. Yeah. For all of us old timer, you know, eight, 10 year nurses, we've gotten some good food lately. Yeah, we've seen the upgrades. Yeah. We've seen the upgrades. For sure. <laughs> Um, another thing when it comes to your partner, I would say just having a conversation and really talking to them before you get there. I think a lot of people don't talk to their husband about like expectations and that's just the worst. When you have unspoken expectations, it just leads, it's going to lead to resentment. Like maybe you expect your husband to massage you. You expect your husband to say encouraging words to you throughout the process You expect your husband to, you know, whatever, but just have that conversation with your husband so they they know. Um, And then also talk about what you prefer when you're in pain. There's some husbands who immediately when they see their wife in pain, they just want to hug them. They want to touch them. They want to massage them. And the wife is like, I'm in pain. Don't touch me. Get away from me. And so that leads to a whole argument. My husband's like, I'm just trying to help. And, you know, so just having that conversation of um, expectations uh, before. You or get just there, be okay with what I need in the moment. Yeah. Like Don't what you offended. need. Exactly. What you need in the moment. And um, I'm trying to, I think that's it. I think it's mainly just communicating with each other. 
especially we're getting all the good tips today yeah <laughs> so i actually have and sorry i'm gonna stray off show notes but it's actually something i feel super passionate about but a really big topic that i don't think is talked about enough in this country is the fact that our maternal death rates in this country are not really up to par as certain other countries and then on top of that especially you being a woman of color how that disproportionately affects yeah. women of color. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, and I also think that it's definitely, I mean, for me as a labor and delivery nurse, I've always known, I, I've just since forever that there is just, I've, I've just known about all the issues and, and how racism trickles into every single aspect of our lives. And I feel like a lot of people are like, wait, that couldn't happen in a hospital. I'm like, it's yeah, everywhere, it guys. Um, yeah. And um, for me, as a woman of color, I definitely want my provider to be a woman of color. I think it makes a difference. Um, and I would also, you know, want my pediatrician to be a, you know, person of color for the same thing. I, I've noticed little things like as a labor and delivery nurse, there, in, there are certain nurses who don't know how to um, assess babies that are of color. I've had, you know, I've called, um, I had a situation where I called the NICU and it, the baby was black and the baby was clearly dusky. And then the NICU team arrived and the NICU nurse, well, the NICU nurse came first and the team was coming behind her. And she actually like called the team and was like, oh no, you don't need to come. And I overheard her and I was like, they need to come. And she was like, no, I think he's just dark skin. And I'm like, oh. I'm black. You don't think I know that? I'm like, this baby Hello. is dusky. This baby is not just dark skin. This baby is dusky. Like, plug up the pulse ox, look at the, and of course, we plugged up the pulse ox and baby was desatting and they caught, but it was just like, that is a huge, huge thing. And um, in that particular situation, like, do I think that nurse was racist? No. Do I think she was trained properly? No. Yeah, Do lack I of education. Yes. Like when you go back to nursing school, when you look at the books in nursing school, yes. there's not mm -hmm. people of color that all the examples are not people of color. Mm -hmm. Even mannequins are not people of color. Yes. They've gotten a little bit better with that at other places I've seen kind of on the internet. Like, oh, they have black mannequins. That's cool. Um, but when I was in nursing school, we didn't have like any of that. So of course, me as a black person, I know how to assess another black person. I know what our bruises look like. I know what it looks like when we're dusky. But you know, I don't know if other nurses know that and if they were trained properly. So that was like, that's one of the big things that stuck out to me. Just gonna say it's super interesting because one of the NICUs I work at is in LA and has a heavily African American black presence. And one of the moms who I spoke to, because she was obviously in the NICU and you know, she was very upset by that and all that. But she mentioned the fact that she delivered with uh, OB, a white male OB, and he she wanted a preference of having a female black African-American OB. And she said her experience was really not great because of that. And I didn't understand it, right? I was like, I was oblivious. And it's funny because now I feel like I've had such an open eye to it and trying to really be empathetic with my patients and understanding like where they're coming from and why. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's a lot of it has to do with, I mean, it's, it's a true fear. It's a true fear that you're not going to be 
heard or and your, people are going to make assumptions about you. And even me as a nurse, um, a couple years ago, I was doing an assignment and I just had really bad stomach issues. My stomach was hurting so bad. And I ended up going to the emergency room and it happened. The stomach issues happened like first thing in the morning and it just happened out of nowhere. All of a sudden I had this stabbing pain in my stomach. So I called my mom crying and she was like, you need to call 911. And I was like, no, I think, I think I could drive to the hospital. I think I can make it long story short. I get to the hospital and I look crazy. Like I have my bonnet on, I'm in my pajamas and they made a lot of assumptions by me just by the way they treated me and the questions that they were asking me. They're like, mm, have you done any drugs lately? Have you like, I could just, they, the way they were looking at me and whispering about me and the questions they were asking me. And they just, I was, and I immediately started crying because I just saw it all happening in front of my, and I felt so helpless. Mm-hmm. As Cause a, you know how to advocate for yourself. Who knows the system. So, so you know well, the questions so to ask and you know the questions like that they're asking are inappropriate or not. Like and you know, if they're just I being just dismissive or not, so like, you know, how yes, to be like, mm, I, no. I Exactly. Yeah. And they just made little assumptions. Like I was just like, oh, there's stabbing pain. And they're like, well, maybe you should be a primary care physician. Do you even have one? Like, why would you assume that I don't have, and why would you assume I don't have insurance? Why would you assume I don't have a primary, like all these assumptions. And right. I, I just, I just started bawling. And it was actually the nurse who came up to me and she recognized like what was you know going on and she you know we had a conversation and we talked and I ended up being um okay but I was just like wow I really felt like they made a lot of assumptions about me and I didn't even mention to them that I was a nurse I I I don't when I go to the hospital I advocated for myself and I ended up you know being able to get an ultrasound and all that stuff and they thought I was, and that's, I mean, I can go on a whole rant on this, but you know, everyone represents pain differently. So just because I'm not running around like crazy doesn't mean I, you know, I'm not in pain. And so it was just, it was a lot. Um, but yeah. Something I try to speak on and even tell my nursing students that healthcare provider bias exists and it's dangerous and mm-hmm. it's something we should be talking about. Absolutely. Cause we have to be aware of it to fix it. Yes, 100%. And honestly, on this platform, I feel like we talk a lot about that. We talk because I think it's really important to show both sides of it, right? Like, we have room for improvement in the healthcare field. We have a lot of room for improvement. We have to do better. We have to do better across the board. Okay, so if you had any suggestions to a future L&D nurse or hopeful L&D nurse, what tips and tricks would you leave for them today? Don't do L&D unless you're super uh, passionate for it. Like, I feel like a lot of people think that, I don't know, it's the easy and the happy unit. It's just like whatever. Nursing, I mean, and you guys know this, nursing is hard and you'll definitely lead out, lead to burnout if you don't go for what you're passionate for. And speaking of going for what you're passionate for, if you know you want to be an L&D nurse, don't be afraid to jump into L&D first, like apply to that job. And also, um, a lot of people ask me like, well, how did you get into OB first as a new grad? Um, and I did, I started like as a new grad, I did a year residency um, in, you know, mother baby. And then I ended up transferring to labor and delivery. And the biggest thing for me, I, it depends on how bad you want it. Cause a lot of people don't realize that I moved cities to work in labor and delivery. Same. I, um, I moved cities to get my NICU job. 
Yep. Yep. And so um, I hear a lot of times like, well, I want to be a labor and delivery nurse, but uh, I don't want to be more than 15 minutes from my home. Okay. Well, there's probably only one hospital that's 15 minutes by your home. And so you're just limiting your options. So be open-minded and don't be afraid to, you know, reach out. And um, yeah, I moved cities and it was definitely worth it to me. Um, Good resume builders to get noticed for L&D. I, de- I definitely, so when I was a um, new grad nurse, I had no idea. I just kind of just winged my resume. I think I like Google something. I didn't even know there were so many resume services out there that could help you. And they're such decent prices. It's like 20 bucks, 30 bucks. And that is definitely worth the um, investment. So if you can invest in um, a good resume and also leaving a good impression um, at your clinicals, nurses talk and nurses remember, mm-hmm. especially in labor and delivery. I promise you as a labor and delivery nurse, there's a lot of like nine out of 10 nurses just aren't really interested in L&D. And it can be frustrating as an L&D nurse when you have a nursing student following you all day and they really don't care about L and D and they're when they don't care, they just tend to be in the, in the way, you know, and it's just like, whatever. So when you get that one nursing student who's super passionate and, you know, they make it clear and they're willing to learn, we remember. And, and if you're, you know, um, how can I put it like assertive and you let your preceptor know, like, Hey, I'm super interested in labor and delivery. And I plan on applying here when I graduate in a couple of months, do you think I could leave my resume with the hiring manager, talk to the hiring manager? We will definitely remember when your name pops up. We're like, oh my gosh, you know, so-and-so, she was so great. Um, it happens more often than you think. And that's actually, so my first job that I got, I did my clinical uh, rotation in the ICU, which I hated, by the way, hated the ICU, but I was a good nursing student. I was very involved. Um, I, you know, I, I was very involved and I ended up applying to that same hospital for a labor and delivery job. And they, after my interview, they called the ICU and they're like, Hey, how is so-and-so? And my preceptor was the reason that I like, I, one of the reasons that I got the job. Um, he said, Oh yeah, she's really great. She's very thorough. I think she'd be a great nurse. And that was shocking to me. I didn't realize that. I mean, who would have thought that the impression I left on ICU would go over to L&D and thank goodness I didn't leave a bad impression because I hated ICU. Yeah, yeah. that's a big thing we talk about is don't burn your don't burn your bridges. Be very Absolutely. careful about how you handle things because things trail. Well, I don't think people realize how small the nursing world is too. Yes. Like, like oh, go ahead. respiratory therapists work in ICU and work in L&D. They might be like, oh, I remember that student from ICU and they were miserable. Or managers talk or best friends. It's like, it's very small, small world. Yes. Like, and let me tell you how small it is. Um, I feel like the labor delivery world, travel nursing, it's so small. You feel like it's a big world, but it's not. I have ran into, so I worked at one assignment um, and I worked with a nurse there. And I think she was like the charge nurse there, you know, whatever. And I did work there for like six months. And then a couple of years later, I worked at another assignment and that same nurse was the director of nursing. Different state, different hospital. She's the director of nursing. And the hospital did budget cuts. And she was the person who decided they cut all the other travel nurses. But she was like, oh, no, I remember Sarah. She cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is the other thing, too, that people don't it's realize. Is, 
to keep your relationships good because the longer you become a nurse, your peers start becoming your managers. And if you don't get along with them, things start, you know, escalating. It's just you have to be careful about your relationships and keeping everything copacetic. Yes, that is such a good point to when you like when you really put it from that perspective, like your peers start to become your managers mm-hmm. and the directors, your educators, and your educators, yeah. like that's, that's definitely a really good point. But I don't think people realize it's all about networking too. Yeah. to get yeah. no one just hands you your dream job. You yeah. got to fight you for gotta it. You got to go for it. Yes, you have, you've got to uh, fight for it for sure. Well, you are officially the L&D okay, queen. Literally, <laughs> this was probably one of my most fun. I love this I episode. I am obsessed Sarah, with you this episode. Amazing. <laughs> I've learned so much. I, we just freaking love you. You are amazing. I learned I so much. <laughs> well, we love you enough that we're doing a part two. Yes. Because hey. we got to go into to travel nursing. Yes. Yes. So part two. Ooh, Stay tuned for part two, you guys, because we cannot get enough of Sarah. <laughs> yes. Uh, before you leave, can you leave us a podcast, a resource, or something that you really like that you find value from? One of my okay, so one of my favorite things to do, I actually kind of changed up my morning routine, especially I feel like with the quarantine and everyone just kind of being stuck at home, like coming up with a good morning routine actually makes like a huge difference. Um, so I like to wake up and listen to things that like really inspire me and motivate me. So I've gotten super into like podcasts and audiobooks. Like I had never listened to audiobooks before, like the last six months. Um, so one of the audiobooks that I'm listening to right now is um, 12 Week Year. And it basically is a book about creating habits and routines so that what you typically would get done in a year, you get done in 12 weeks. So just leading a more productive life. And I love it. I just wake up and I listen to it. For that out. Yeah, we both yeah. are. Yeah. yeah. Get on that. I listen to it for like 15 minutes. That's one chapter. And it hypes me up for the day. Like it really talks about like what your priorities should be and what you need to do to be more productive. And I'm like, yes, I make my little coffee and listen to the audiobook. I'm like, hell yeah, this is what I'm ready for the day. So yes, I definitely would recommend that book. That's a great resource. The older I get, the more I'm getting into just mindset. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so where can everyone find you? Pimp yourself out. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Everyone can find me at saragaines.com. Gaines is G-A-I-N-E-S. You can definitely learn about the travel nurse course there. There's travel nurse tips and everything like that. If you want daily travel nurse tips and you want to laugh and hear more L&D stories and travel nurse stories, definitely follow me on Instagram at Sarah underscore Gaines. Well, thank you. Thank you so much you for coming rock on. rock star guest. And then, yeah, stay tuned for part two, guys. We love it. We're talking everything travel nurse because she is the expert. Okay. All right, you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Holy smokes. Just Sarah is just insane. I love her. I want more. I mean, we have part we two have for more. you on Friday. We have so more. tune in on Friday for part two, but I could have her back every week. Oh, I am my obsessed God. with her. She was such a gem. We had so much fun. Thank you so much for listening, you guys. Make sure you're following us over on Insta. That's at C-E-L-L-F-I-E underscore podcast. You can check out our all of our episodes and our merch on our website. Love a day off. Love a day off. <laughs> www.selfiepodcast.com. And make sure you rate and review us, you guys. Download, subscribe. Download, subscribe, subscribe, download.
rate and review. Rate but and we love review. you. We love the feedback. Every review warms yeah. my little heart. I know. I know. And make sure you guys leave your Insta handle in the review. If you guys do, we'll be sending out our swag bag with all the fun little things. We have our new little lips pen. And we just love you guys. We just want to say thank you so much for all your support. Make sure you're also following us over on our Instas. That's at Nurse Tori. And at Hey Samantha with two A's. And And check out Fun Friday bonus episode. Yes, we can't wait to have you over there. Love you. Love you. Bye. Bye.